0: As speech pathologists, we we do really get it. We understand the importance of communication and and social connections. And it's important to learn that how one way of treating or or working with a, a client isn't necessarily going to be what works for another
1: client in a different state or from a different tribe.
0: If we've got assessment findings that are robust, then we don't have to make any presumptions and I strongly believe in the value and worth of what we do and the difference we make.
1: Hello, and welcome to Speak Up, Speech Pathology Australia's podcast. Each week, we feature a conversation about an area or topic related to all things speech pathology. Let's hear what this week's contributors have to say. Welcome to this week's edition of Speak Up, Speech Pathology Australia's podcast series. My name is Kim Teresi, and I'm the Senior Advisor for Aged Care for Speech Pathology Australia. I'm really looking forward to my conversation today with this week's guest, Dr. Melanie Roth, who's the Chief Clinical Advisor for the Australian Aged Care Quality and Safety Commission. Melanie is also a practicing geriatrician as a Senior Staff Specialist at the Royal Prince Alfred Hospital in Sydney. So welcome, Melanie. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. Thanks very much. Melanie, in our chat today, I'm keen to explore the role of the Aged Care Quality Safety Commission um, and and consider frameworks such as the Aged Care Quality Standards, um, the Serious Incident Reporting Scheme, et cetera, and so we can discuss and reflect on why those might be important for speech pathologists working in aged care to know more about. And also for us just to, I guess, understand what um, speech pathologists might need to know about mechanisms to um, contact the commission if there are any concerns or um, things that they're worried about that they're working with. I wondered today if we could first of all start off with you telling us a little bit more about the role of the Aged Care Quality and Safety Commission and what its key priorities are at the moment.
0: Oh, well, thanks so much, Kim, because it's it's uh, so topical at the moment with the recent Royal Commission, um, but the quality aged care quality and safety commission um, is is set up to protect and enhance the safety, health, well being and quality of life of people receiving aged care and I kind of like to dwell a little bit on the quality of life section at the end, because um, it's it's so important to the people themselves. Um, The Commission is the national end-to-end regulator of aged care services and the primary point of contact for consumers. Now, I'm using the word consumers because that's what's in the Act, Mm. but that really means people receiving aged care. Um, I guess some speech pathologists would call them patients and the people themselves would call them people or residents. Mm. Um, But the primary end point of contact for them and also for uh, providers of aged care services in relation to quality and safety. We promote high quality care and services to safeguard everyone who's receiving Australian government funded aged care. The Commission also has responsibility for approving providers and for receiving information about compulsory reports. We independently accredit, assess and monitor aged care services subsidised by the Australian government. We conduct home care investigations and we determine compliance requirements to be imposed on providers such as sanctions. Um, if they're underperforming. We also receive and resolve complaints about these services. Through our engagement and education work, we aim to build confidence and trust in the aged care sector uh, to empower consumers to support providers to comply with quality standards and also to promote best best practice service provision, which um, is, is a step up from complying with the standards. Um, Key priorities are reflected in the evidence before the Royal Commission into aged care, which I'm sure hasn't uh, bypassed most speech pathologists. Um, And of course, COVID-19 has been a a huge component of the work of the Commission due to its impact on, on the aged care sector. Um, Other clinical priorities at the moment for me personally um, and for the Commission generally are restrictive practices in aged care which has been highlighted as a a major issue of concern among many others, so the the recommendations of the Royal Commission are are, are guiding a lot of my work, Um, but another key priority area is food, dining and nutrition. Reason being, it was highlighted as as being in in a pretty parlous state. And also, if you speak to residents, um, food is such an important part of their day. Sometimes it's the greatest pleasure they get in a day as their ability to participate in other, other um, activities and meaningful things um, it becomes more limited. So given that um, and the number of complaints the commission receives about food, um, and the the clear um, role you know the the, the clear scope for improvement that's definitely a focus of the commission at the moment as you would know Kim um, being a member of of the commission's expert advisory group in in food and nutrition at the moment and uh, we very much appreciate speech pathology input into that obviously it's it's a crucial component both clinically and uh, for, for quality of life
1: Hmm. Yeah, thanks, Melanie. It's a a great opportunity and, as you say, a real focus um, of the Commission and and the sector generally at the moment, particularly looking at that food, nutrition and real-time experience. Um, Just reflecting on some of the components you were talking about, looked at from the Commission, I'm thinking about the sort of regulatory frameworks such as the aged care quality standards that you mentioned um the serious incident reporting scheme now and I wonder what your thoughts are in terms of why you think it's important that speech pathologists working in aged care are sort of aware of those sorts of frameworks
0: Uh, sure so I'd like to actually start with the charter of aged care rights which is a really good read it's a one-pager um it's 14 high-level consumer rights um it it really should make it easier for for residents, um, community living aged care services, recipients, their families, carers and representatives to understand what they can actually expect from an aged care service. Um, And it's been compulsory for um, every consumer to receive and have the opportunity to sign a copy of the aged care rights so I would would uh, recommend that as a as a quick read as a as a focus and particularly relevant to speech pathology this will be music to your ears. Um, is right number seven, which is um, I have the right to have control over and make choices about my care and personal and social life, including where the choices involve personal risk. Mm. Um, So moving on to the quality standards, any organisation providing Commonwealth subsidised aged care services are required to comply with the aged care quality standards. Um, And if you if you care to, there's an app with the quality standards on it. Um, which is quite an easy just touch through the standards that you want to, but it, it's worth just looking at the at the icon for that because the very centre of the of the standards wheel is standard one, yeah. uh, which is relating to consumer dignity and choice. Um, so since um, the first of July two thousand and nineteen, um, providers have been. Uh, assessed against, their performance has been assessed against the quality standards and they have been, you know, they must must be able to provide evidence of their compliance. Um, quality stand, The quality standards clearly focus on outcomes for consumers um, and they reflect the level of care and services that the community can expect from organisations that provide Commonwealth subsidised aged care services. And I want to emphasise they're firmly focused on person-centred care, which is um, in, in some cases a really, really big cultural shift from the more institutional model of, of aged care that we've we've seen in the past. And that's the past experience of elderly people um, and that drives a lot of their fear of entering um, aged care. So, so it, is, it is actually a big shift. Standard one is consumer dignity and choice. And the overriding principle of standard one is I am treated with dignity and respect and can maintain my identity. I can make informed choices about my care and services and live the life I choose. So given that that's standard one and that the Commission firmly assesses providers against standard one and and uh, uses it frequently in uh, drawing providers attention to issues when when uh, we're resolving complaints. Um, and it's and it's certainly something I think that speech pathologists can leverage because if if providers are, are, are exercised by anything, it's it's in relation to complying with the aged care quality standards. Maybe I could just talk very briefly about standard three, which is also um, relevant, personal care and clinical care, which is in in accordance with the consumer's needs, goals and preferences. So again, we get the choices and and their input has been crucially important. Um, So when speech pathologists are working in, in aged care, they can assist providers to meet the quality standards. Um, and assist residents to be a a partner in their own care, um, to live the life they choose, and and you know therefore to maintain uh, and enhance their quality of life. So I suppose it's important that that your own practice falls within the guidance and expectations of the standards, and providers are expected to monitor that that um, professionals who deliver services in their in their service um, comply with with their own code of conduct and also with um, any any legislative requirements for example uh, they're required to make sure that you're registered etc and and then you know complying with PPE requirements and and all of the other things that that anyone working in aged care will have become extremely familiar with yes Um, yeah so I think it's useful to um, you know, to to reflect on what that what the rights and the standards mean to individual consumers, individual residents. Um, if you're discussing practice issues or or, or areas of concern with providers. Um, And it's also important to make sure that that you clarify your own position um, where when you've had discussions about choice, risk, what options have been explored, what decision a a person has come to with with your assistance um, or with the assistance of their supportive decision makers, um, that you document those decisions clearly um, and, of course, that you assist providers to to minimise uh, the associated risks um, point out where extra training might be required. Um, and of course, it's a communal living situation. So the impact of the risk taking of a, of a person, uh, you know, I mean, in the home setting, it might impact on, on the people they live with. Uh, similarly, it, it impacts on other residents and, uh, um, and on carers in residential aged care. So those things need to be part of the discussion.
1: Hmm. Yeah, well, thank you. That was a really fantastic overview of, um, you know, thinking about key points, and um, I particularly like the conversation you had around the standards and how speech pathologists might reflect on them in relation to their own practice, but also um, as a way of discussing um, issues of practice with providers and advocating for clients. So often we have those conversations with members too. Um, who are ringing national office, and particularly, as you mentioned, aged care standard one around the focus around consumer choice and and dignity of risk, and that often is a a conversation that we have with um, speech pathologists who are advocating for clients they're working with who are looking to, for example, take some acknowledged risks with what they're eating and drinking. So, yeah, certainly a a conversation that we've had, but, um, yeah. Speech pathologists
0: are are well in advance in in those conversations um, because the risks, you know, I I, I don't need to tell speech pathologists how dynamic that is, how the risks change um, not only over time but, you know, various times of day um, and how they can be best best managed. um, and so the risk conversation is very front and fore in in speech pathologists' minds. But often you will find that providers only hear what's the safest way to go, not yeah. actually that the outcome of the conversation is that this is the, the the this is the way the person has chosen to manage their their swallowing or or yeah. eating problem, um, and this these are the best ways to assist them to manage it more safely. So yeah. I think that. Um, shift of thinking has come much more quickly and
1: easily to speech pathologists than it has come to to some providers. Mm, Yes and of course we're talking at the moment in the expert panel around um, some further resources for for providers in that space aren't we? Mm, Thinking processes around um, supporting their um, consumers who are choosing to eat and drink with acknowledged risk as well.
0: Yeah. Exactly, and and of course, the resources will will have complementary ones going to the the residents themselves or, or their mm. or their loved ones, um, so that there's you know there, there are many ways that providers can can come to understand um, how they can support residents to make decisions that work best for
1: them. Um, yeah. but you did ask me
0: about Sirs. Serious incident yeah
1: reporting. I was going to ask a little bit more about SERS because it's a bit of the hot topic at the moment as well isn't it and we know that um, priority two incidents become reportable to the commission from the 1st of October um, and I, I guess I was going to ask the question we're getting asked a lot at the moment is um, do speech pathologists need to report incidents under the serious incident reporting scheme? So,
0: quick answer no. Uh, serious Incident Reporting Scheme or SIRS um, has, is, is, is very new. It's very new for um, providers as a concept. Um, and it, it's important to recognise that it's not just a reporting scheme, it's actually an incident management scheme. Now, incident management is, is firmly embedded in the, in the quality standards. Um, and as such speech pathologists may well have a significant role in assisting providers with incident management, but they don't actually have to, to report themselves being aware of the scheme is important, as is being aware of, of how to effectively manage um, adverse incidents. Um, but the uh, the providers have to do the, the reporting, it may be that um speech pathologists have a role in in prompting reporting where they can see that something has happened that would require reporting and it it may not um, have occurred to the provider. Particularly so I might say in the area of neglect because if you thought you were neglecting someone you probably wouldn't be. Um, So it's actually hard you know a a fall or a a sudden death or you know a sexual assault are easy to pick up, but neglect is not so easy to pick up. So that's where speech pathologists may definitely have a role. Um, yeah, so I would say that if you're identifying issues of concern, that you would document and bring them to the attention of the provider. As far as the incident management process goes, again, um, it's not it's not a, a very well developed. Um, concept in in some places still in some services some services of course have fantastic incident management systems but again the incident management system is not just recording the incidents so so your role if something if something happens um would be to um assist providers to identify potential causes or triggers or contributors to a particular usually speech or, or communication or swallowing related issue um, and and work on ways to reduce those risks. So incident management is is making sure that the risks are, you know, that the, the same incident is not going to happen to the same person or to other people. So it's systems and individual risks that that you, you know, you, you would do that as your as your bread and butter, but um, yeah.
1: Yeah, and I, the um, the fact sheet that is on the Commission's website around neglect we've been finding really useful to direct members to for them to get their ideas around those examples that are given in the fact sheet. And, you know, we note that there is examples there um, on the neglect fact sheet for as an example of a resident being given um, the incorrect texture-modified diet, Consistency food and and things like that. So um, we found that's a useful thing to help members um, engage then with providers to have cons- discussions around um, what may be happening in those facilities and and to put into place together, I guess, collaborative efforts to to work out a system to address those incidents. Yeah.
0: Yes, and and it's there's not a sophisticated understanding of the issues around texture modified food and uh, the the impact it can have on nutrition and quality of life and the role of the person in actually making that decision. And we do see, and I'm sure you see as well, time and time again, um, you know, providers saying so, so you mean we can give them that food? Well, yes, if they understand the risks and they've had a really good conversation with a speech pathologist who's able to say what what the risks are, when the risks are worst, how you can make the risks lower, and um, you know if you still choose to do that, then then that's that's absolutely your choice. The the problem is. Um, that I think providers are very aware of the risks of swallowing food of the wrong consistency, as are, as are some patients or, or residents, but they're not so aware of the risks to the person's quality of life or to their nutrition if the food that's recommended is is not going to be eaten um, mm. or the texture that's recommended is not going to be eaten. But, you know, there, there are other issues playing in there where, um, somebody agrees to a certain texture and that's what they're given, but they're not given any choice within that. So they suddenly lose the ability to choose from a menu or, um, you know, the, the, the same choices around taste and, and options that other people have in a service. So you may find there's only one texture modified choice and, and that that impacts, of course, on, on um, their enjoyment and their the, the quantity they'll eat.
1: Mm, absolutely.
0: Or- happy to have um thickened fluids but um you know they're not they're they're only given thickened fluids that they find disgusting
1: Um, or or potentially as we see sometimes they've um you know needing from a safety perspective to have a certain texture and and agreeable to that but um they're not always being given that texture they've been given foods or Um, drinks that aren't of the right texture and are posing safety risks to them so that's sometimes we also find happening and um, And it's it becomes um, you know something the spectrophologist can work with the facility maybe about providing some additional training to to staff or you know um, input to to their systems around Mm -hmm. that. Um, I'm wondering about um, having spoken about those sort of circumstances where we've talked about, you know, going back and reporting the concerns such as those to management and, um, you know, working collaboratively around what sorts of actions might help address those issues. What would be your advice if there is a case where there have been Sort of identified, sort of serious quality and safety risks and of issues of concern, but that the speech pathologist is feeling like they're not really being addressed or listened to, despite them having, you know, done all those things initially and approached management a number of times. What, what would you, your advice be as to what should happen in those cases?
0: Yes, it's, um, it, it's a bit of a dilemma in in working, working in. Uh, you know well I guess in any in any service that you you develop a professional relationship with the service and you don't want to damage that and you don't want to damage your relationship with your own patients um where you perceive that um putting in a in a complaint will will not be uh, well received shall I say and uh consumers very prominently feel this and and uh It's that's why it's really important for providers to develop uh, feedback and complaints management systems that really genuinely work where people are, are, they know they're going to be listened to, they lose the fear of coming forward, maybe it's not called a complaint, maybe it's called feedback or a concern or an issue, um, but they know that it is going to go somewhere. Um, people who come to the commission with their complaints um, are often at the end of their tether. Um, But I just want to emphasise that they shouldn't feel that they need to be at the end of their tether or that it's something really, really large or life-threatening that that should warrant a complaint. Um, We receive thousands and thousands of complaints a year and every one is looked at individually. And uh, in most cases, um, they can be resolved by negotiation, by discussing you know our complaints officers will contact the provider and speak to the relevant person and um, you know often they're not aware of the issues or they're not aware of the um, consumer perspectives and I guess speech pathologists can have a a role there in pointing out um, where the consumer perspective sits both in the quality standards and and in um, human (laughs) human rights let's face it But where you see things that are dreadful, I would suggest you have some sort of uh, professional responsibility to to report to the Commission. Um, And you can report to the Commission anonymously um, and you can also report to the Commission, you know, obviously um, reports from professionals are taken extremely seriously by the Commission Um, but you know there are other people involved and the more you are negotiating and interacting and communicating with the consumers their loved ones if the person isn't able to speak for themselves the GP would be another point of contact um, making sure that your concerns are are documented carefully and that you documented who who you've spoken to. and uh, of course, there's the Older Persons Advocacy Network, so OPAN, which is a, is another way that it is um, a less punitive, if you like, more um, collaborative way to in, to resolve consumer issues. Uh, so they're very responsive to to reports as well.
1: Hmm. Yeah. So thanks for that. So that's sort of helped. I guess I think clarified you know, the, the steps and the processes that um, speech pathologists might be involved in in that. And
0: I, I'm assure sure you, you would all be making your own decisions about whether something's, a, you know, a, an unacceptable risk and needs addressing urgently um, and can't be addressed through the normal channels or whether you've got a bit of time to try, or, try your best um, yeah. through, through less formal channels.
1: Yeah, yep. absolutely, yeah. So we know in... Um, in the aged care sector, it is a a time of immense reform and there's so much change happening, but it's also a really exciting time of innovation, I think, because I think everyone's sort of looking ahead and now thinking through, you know, different ways of of doing things going forward. Um, We know that there's lots of great examples of, you know, fantastic things happening out there and, and good quality care and services. Um, what are your thoughts on how we might be able to best showcase and share those sorts of ideas of good practice across the sector yes it's so important for for very many reasons and
0: one one of them is um, that there has been an unrelenting negativity in uh, in really the the press and the royal commission and um, the, the messages have all been negative and they've probably rightly focused on the negatives, but there are some very, very excellent practices. And there are some people living really fulfilled, enjoyable lives in residential aged care. And I've certainly had patients who've said to me, I know I resisted, I know I didn't want to go, but I wish I'd gone earlier. It is so good. I've got friends, my food's brought to me, there's a million things to do. I've got a beautiful, you know, beautiful garden. so focusing on the positives has has two things. I think it, it in itself is a, a helpful thing, but also uh, in, in terms of morale and, uh, you know, morale of staff and, uh, you know, just people do need to know when they're, when they're doing a good job. But it is really important, I think, to communicate where good practice is happening and what good practice looks like, um, partly to, as an example, and to show how good things can be done. Um, But also to show that that it is being done, and if you're not doing it, then maybe you are starting to lag behind because hiding behind the fact that this is how everyone does it is no longer
1: going to be going to be the case yeah. Mm, absolutely absolutely so i always encourage members who call up and um you know discuss those examples to you know share it far and wide and and please write this down and share it with us and we can put it in our spa publications but also think about you know opportunities more widely because um other people are interested you know the sector is interested in moving forward and um seeing what other things can be done to yeah no they
0: they absolutely absolutely are because we're providers um, really want to do the right thing but just can't visualise how it can be done, and other people's examples are super helpful. Um, we, we, as you know, are currently doing some work uh, um, around food and, and nutrition, and we will be... Um, looking at some case studies and some examples of good practice. So if any of you um, speech pathologists out there are seeing good practice, not necessarily in speech pathology, but in food more generally, um, please either contact Kim. I'm going to drop you in there, Kim, to be a bit of a contract. But also the information line at the commission um, is very happy to receive and pass on good stories and, and positive, positive feedback. So we'd, we'd love to hear hear stories, de-identified if it's in relation to consumers, but if um, providers are happy to be identified, then identify along.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. We're very keen as well at Speech Pathology Australia to hear those examples, so be really um, interested in in hearing anything that anyone would like to share with us. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Melanie, for joining us this week. It's been an absolutely fabulous discussion and um, I've really enjoyed our chat. But I think it's been really um, useful conversation too for for, um, everyone to to think about and reflect on the topics that we've discussed today. Um, So thank you again and um, all the very best. And thanks, everyone, for joining us for this week's Speak Up podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your colleagues. Thank you for listening and bye for now.